It is easy for Christians to turn non-essentials into essentials. In reality, the list of essentials is relatively short. Only a few things set forth in Scripture are what we would call essential doctrines to the Christian faith. Among them, the inerrancy of the scriptures, the substitutionary death of Christ on the cross, the deity of Jesus Christ, our Lord, Salvation by grace through faith apart from works. The miraculous bodily resurrection of Jesus from the grave. His literal return to this earth. the bliss of an eternal heaven as the destiny of the believer and the heartbreaking, tragic reality of the ultimate destiny of the lost in a literal hell. To name a few of the essentials, all set forth in the scriptures, they're like foundational pinions on which our faith sits. They, they are non-negotiables. They stand firm. They are the same as they have been since the Godhead established those truths before there was ever a world in which people existed. They are eternal in nature. Now, when it comes to non-essentials, the list is long. And depending on what church you may attend or what teaching you may find yourself a part of, the list will include things that, that um, are very important to the ones who are requiring them, but they lack biblical support in the sense that not one of them is considered a stated sin in the scriptures. Get that clearly fixed in your mind. That's what makes them non-essentials. Knowing that would arouse the curiosity of many, I chose to put together a few of the things that would fall in that list 
So as to make the point clear, understand this would be among those non-essentials that some have made virtually essential for you to have fellowship in their church or with their group of Christians or at the school where you attend. Uh, I'll tell you ahead of time that because some of these will be so uh, strange sounding to you, some of you, that you may find some of them humorous. They're not meant to be funny because there are people who take them so seriously that if you don't, they will shun you. Some will even go so far as to put you out of their church. If you do these things, they consider wrong, even though the scriptures never state they are actually sinful. Among the uh, list of non-essentials, going to movies or attending a play on stage at a live theater, wearing cosmetics, using tobacco, having a glass of wine with your meal at the evening, in the evening or at, at any time, playing cards, dancing, any kind of dancing, uh, having wealth, being greatly blessed with this world's prosperity is viewed with suspicion by those, especially those who are not. Using uh, different translations of the Bible that may strike you as unusual, uh, but there are groups that require you use only this particular translation. And if you use another, it is heretical or borderline heretical. Uh, a paraphrase or another translation than the quote, accepted one stated by the leader of a particular church or group. Continuing the list, enjoying various types of music, getting a facelift, driving an expensive car, wearing uh, your hair a certain way, considering you have hair to wear a certain way, <laughs> enjoying a, a meal at a restaurant that may sell liquor to those who eat there, uh, eating uh, red meat, getting a tattoo. If a woman wearing pants rather than only dresses, if a man wearing an earring. Uh, as I said earlier, uh, most in the list of these non-essentials may 
strike you as unusual if you were not raised in a tight, rigid environment where these things were required for you to be considered spiritual. For others of you who were reared in such a legalistic setting, you're not laughing. You know what it's like to be shunned, to be judged, even to be condemned. Some of you have never known such rigidity. Uh, consider yourself blessed. It's harder to unlearn most things than to learn them for the first time. If you didn't grow up in a home where the parents required those things of you, then you've not been uh, aware that there were our homes that are that strict. And uh, the rules are that tightly required and enforced. It may surprise you to know that the halls of Christian history uh, are crowded with strong and even famous people who have disagreed on many of these things and have justified their disagreement to the point where they've broken fellowship with one another. A couple come to mind, Joseph Parker, a beloved pastor in the Victorian era in the land of, uh, uh, in, in London, in the, uh, England, and along uh, in the same city, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Uh, Joseph Parker saw no problem with going to live theater and often did so. He even uh, found delight in using examples of what he saw in the, in the play that he had attended in a sermon to uh, illustrate something. And to Spurgeon, that was uh, anathema. Uh, for the, the theater was not the place where a believer was to find himself or herself. Spurgeon, on the other hand, smoked cigars. And uh, Joseph Parker found that to be offensive. E interestingly, when they were younger, they were very close friends. They even swapped pulpits. One would preach in the other's pulpit from time to time. That stopped once these habits began to be uh, known publicly because neither man hid the fact that they were involved in them, for they saw nothing wrong with them, though they saw a great deal wrong with what the other one did. Uh, I could go on and on with the story, but I will tell you the rest of the story as it related to Spurgeon. He was on a busy street in London and was walking along when he stopped in front of a large sign that stood in front of a store. The sign announced in big letters, we sell the cigars that Charles Spurgeon smokes. <laughs> and he was suddenly convicted. And that day stopped smoking. It's a good point for me to make here, I think, that you may enjoy freedom in areas that others don't, 
But if the Lord at any time in the process reveals to you that this is not something you should be doing, you're wrong to continue it. Not because there's something in scripture, but because the Lord has made it clear to you, this is not something you should be involved in or be involved in any longer. I admire Spurgeon for stopping the habit. I have no issue with cigar smoking and and uh, those who don't smoke cigars. My father smoked cigars throughout his uh, life. Uh, and uh, uh, I remember sitting in the back seat of the car and uh, receiving some of the spit from the front seat of the car when he would spit out the window. I, I didn't enjoy that part, but uh, uh, it, it was not something that was a big issue in our home. Uh, but I do have convictions in areas of my life and that you know nothing about, and you won't know, because it will never be my habit to force my convictions onto anyone else. Convictions are drawn from personal time with the Lord and the searching of one's own heart where one feels freedom in an area or no freedom in an area. And so for that reason, we do it or don't do those things. These do not become a list for us to give to anyone else. That's legalism. These are things that the Lord uses in your life. And as you walk with him closely, you will find that some things change over the years. As you spend time with him, he makes known to you there are some things you've done much of your life that he's not pleased with. And so you stop. You, you change. You don't make a huge announcement. You, you don't, uh, if you're a pastor, you don't suddenly uh, declare it as law for all the people in the congregation. It's, it's not for you. It's for the individual. It's not for others. It's for the person. Uh, I always found it humorous that someone, when... Spurgeon used to smoke cigars, said to him, uh, if you ever take it too extreme, would you stop? And he quickly said, of course I would. And when asked what's an extreme, he said two at the same time. So <laughs> he had fun laughing about it with others because he saw nothing wrong with it till he saw that sign. And suddenly it stopped. That was Spurgeon's experience. It may not be yours. It's not found in scripture that when you see a sign that that's what you're to do. But it's a personal conviction of his. When you accept other people, you do not foist upon them what is your set of convictions. You leave that to the Lord because we answer to the Lord for our lives. Otherwise, we will never know what it means to be free, for it's impossible to please everyone. However, it is certainly not impossible to please the Lord our God. And how grateful we are that the most holy one is easy to live with, much easier than most of his children, I might add.
When I come to the 14th chapter of Romans, I, I find myself wanting to jump right into the four guidelines, but I want to save those for the next time we're together because I don't want to have to rush through them. They're too important. Those four guidelines will help you walk in greater freedom and even equally important, they will help you set other people free to walk in freedom. And uh, you, you won't feel the need to uh, be their conscience or to be the Holy Spirit in their lives. I say that facetiously. There is only one Holy Spirit. He is able to guide us in the way we should go. He doesn't need anyone else to push at us. He will convict us and lead us into the way that pleases our God. Now, when you get to Romans 14, I need to set the stage because you read right away, there are some who feel comfortable eating meat as you heard read when I read that to you earlier, and there are those who do not feel comfortable eating meat. They eat vegetables. What's that all about? Well, back in the first century, there were open idol temples in Rome, as they were in most pagan cities. Idol temples were often marked by images that required sacrifices. The sacrifices were often animal sacrifices. Sometimes the meat that was offered on the idol came from an animal that had been butchered and the other part of the animal that was not ever sacrificed was sold in a butcher shop a place called the Shambles, which is an interesting name. And there were those who felt it was wrong to go to the Shambles, the butcher shop, and buy meat that had been offered, or it was from a carcass that had some of its meat offered on an idol, in an idol temple. Got the picture? There were those who had come from a pagan background like that, and to them it was anathema. For anyone to have anything to do with any kind of meat that had once been a part of a carcass, even part of which had been offered at an idol temple. They are called by some in the scriptures, weak in the faith. Then there were those who saw no problem at all with eating anything that came from a good piece of meat or anything in the butcher shop. And uh, they would eat, and those who would see them eating that meat, we'll get into this more next time, criticize them for eating that meat. And those who ate the meat, they were the meat eaters, looked down on those who didn't eat the meat. Uh, it's just like those who don't believe you should go to the movies look down on those who go to movies. And then there are those who go to movies and criticize those who condemn them for, for going because they don't go. So it's all a matter of judging one another based on convictions one has. That's the foundation for Romans chapter 14. 
That's the context. So when you read it, you'll understand better when it talks about eating meat or not eating meat. But what I want to camp on as I close this message is the importance of one word. Perhaps the most valuable word for any congregation that hopes to live in harmony with each other. Acceptance. Acceptance. You'll see it twice in the passage I read. The whole passage begins with accept other believers. And a little later on, it's talking about accepting or not accepting them. We all need to hear this very carefully. Don't let your mind wander when I read you a description of acceptance. This is not original to me. I found it in the writings of Ray Stedman, one of my mentors in years past, now gone on to be with the Lord. But at the time, he was a pastor of Peninsula Bible Church in Palo Alto, California, out west. While speaking on grace, he got on the subject of acceptance and offered this description of acceptance, perhaps getting some of this description from other readings he had made on his own. So it, all of it may not be original to Ray, but I do find it in his writing. So hear this well, listen carefully. Acceptance means you are valuable just as you are. It allows you to be the real you. You aren't uh, forced into someone else's idea of who you really are. It means your ideas are taken seriously since they reflect you. You can talk about how you feel inside and why you feel that way, and someone really cares. Acceptance means you can try out your ideas without being shot down. You can even express heretical thoughts, discuss them with intelligent and discuss them with intelligent questioning. You feel safe. No one will pronounce judgment on you even though they don't agree with you. By the way, remember, non-essentials or non-essentials. So your thoughts may be heretical about those non-essentials. We're not talking about essentials. There needs to be unity about those essentials. These are non-essentials. 
So you won't be shot down, you won't be canceled out because your opinion is not the other person's opinion because they don't agree with you. It doesn't mean you will never be corrected or shown to be wrong. It simply means it's safe to be you and no one will destroy you out of prejudice, end of quote. I love that description. When there is that kind of acceptance in a church, there is harmony in a church. There's room for different opinions. There's room for disagreement. But there aren't arguments. There's quest there are questions and there may be open discussion, but it isn't like hostile. It's, it's more seeking to find out exactly what you mean. Listening as the other person shares another thought on the same subject, the give and take of dialogue. When there's that, people get along. No one is canceled out like you are in this culture in which we live. There isn't prejudice because of this or that in your life. You're accepted. You as a new member will be just as accepted as those who are charter members. You who are men will be accepted as much as you who are women. You who are younger, just as much as those of you who are older and vice versa. There's acceptance. This is grace at ground zero. Some have never entered into it because they've been so busy judging others. Finding fault in those who don't agree with them lacking the room in their lives for others who have different opinions. For years, I have given a quotation of a church motto that has been in the church for centuries. Listen to it. It's brief. It's worth remembering. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. Again, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, Liberty in all things, charity. Think you can say that with me? Here we go. In essentials, unity. Good for you. In non essentials, liberty. That's it. In all things, charity.
You know what that says? Love trumps all beliefs. When your opinion, your strong will, your determination to get your point across is so severe that love is lacking, a relationship has broken down and you've gone too far. Always keep an open mind with non-essentials. Always. Always be willing to hear how another may see something or think of something or his or her opinion about something. If it's essential, what's the key word? Unity. If it's non-essential, liberty. You've got, you, you've got the freedom to agree or disagree. And in all things, charity. You got it. This past week, I read about a father-son disagreement. The son was a young adult, and the disagreement became so heated that the boy talked about simply leaving home. The dad said, hold it. Uh, think about that. Let's both spend the night thinking through all this and calming down. They both went to bed, separate bedrooms, alone. Neither could sleep. The boy's twisting and turning as he's thinking about that conversation he had with his dad. And unable to sleep, he decides to go down to the kitchen and make himself a sandwich. He walks down the stairs and notices the light is on in the kitchen and his dad is at the same kitchen table. He can't sleep either. So in awkward silence, each makes his own sandwich. They come back to the kitchen table to face one another. As they do, a little small talk breaks out. They begin to reminisce. They remember those years of Little League. Even one of those years, Dad was the coach. And they laugh about certain plays or certain championship seasons or those seasons when they lost and the things that went with it. And before long, they're smiling together. The son brings up a hunting trip they went on when the boy got into his teenage years and got his first rifle and his dad and he went out together and they had a great uh, four or five days in the mountains hunting together. And then they shot the rapids together on another occasion and both of them wound up in the icy waters of the, of the, of the lake and shivering, they swam to the shoreline and got a fire going and set up their tent and, and they camped there and had such a great time. And before long, it was sandwiches were eaten and looked like dawn was coming and 
The boy said to his, the young adult son said to his dad, hey dad, I'll tell you what I was thinking about as we were talking about our shooting the rapids. I remember that, that, old, that, that old green fishing boat you got one time that leaked. Remember we went out fishing and we spent more time bailing the boat than we did fishing and the, the dad kind of chuckled and then stopped smiling and said, actually son, the boat was blue. And the son said, uh, no dad, I, I remember it, it was green that uh, we, we were not that boat that leaked, it was green. No son, it was blue. I know the color of the boat. I bought that boat. Dad, it was green. Son, it was blue, green, blue. Listen to me, boy. It was blue. It was green, Dad. Young adult son stood up, stared at his father, walked out, packed his things, and never returned. Over whether a fishing boat that leaked water was blue or green. When will we learn? As your son walked out, your daughter gone? Was it heated? Is there that silence over the years? I don't know how many adults, I can't count them, that have said to me, we haven't spoken to our son, and then they'll name the years. The years. I've heard as much as over 20 years. We don't know if he's living or dead. Think back over why you left. I read about a baseball manager who led a team to championship, happened to be the Cincinnati Reds. And he got into an argument with his son over the length of his hair. The coach is looking back with great regret because the boy had long since left home said, it's amazing to me that I can lead a championship team through the World Series. I didn't have enough humility to overlook the length of my son's hair. Really. Really. What's happening to us? If a person is without Christ, then uh, I can understand how there can be such a gap, though it's a little hard since we're still humans. But when we know Christ and we've been forgiven of every sin, and we've a list against certain people, and no longer relate to them because they do or don't do something 
when we were once close to them? A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city, and their contentions are like the bars of a castle. Who knows how many are out there, out there in the community, in this city, in this state, in this country, in this world, at odds with those who claim to belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. who aren't big enough to build a bridge back. Green, blue, does it matter? Of course not. In all things charity, when will we learn? When will we learn in this culture that will never learn that we can be a pocket of harmony that will so capture the curiosity of a world without Christ they cannot stay away because they've never seen such harmony such a group of people that refuse to cancel anybody out. Starts with you and me, and then it grows from us two to two more and four more, and finally it's our church. I'll tell you, part of the reason we've grown over these 25 years is that people have the room to disagree. Without hearing about it from this pulpit. Even strongly disagree with me. That's fine. I'm not here because people agree with me. I'm here because I'm called. You're here. Because you're drawn and hopefully the harmony of your being drawn is so strong you can't leave. I want to be here. I love it here. Do I love everything about everything that goes on in every life here? Of course not. But this church is not about pleasing me. I'm not the head of this church. You've heard me say that hundreds of times. Christ is the head of this church. Christ is the leader of this church. We please him. And believe me, he has a way of getting our attention, even from a sign on a street corner in the city of London that makes a statement that has nothing to do, nothing to do with what's on the sign. It speaks to the man's heart who suddenly realizes 
I've had a blind spot. And now I see. Grace. Grace for the moment. It's all that I need. When I hear something that I disagree with from one of you, I need grace for the moment. You need grace for the moment to tolerate the one sitting right there in that row where you're sitting with whom you may disagree. They don't raise their children like you raise yours, so? They don't live in a house like you live, so? They don't drive the car you drive, so? They don't have the convictions you, so? This is a church. We're not turning out cookie-cutter Christians and paper doll saints. We're believers, growing and learning and forgiving and needing grace for the moment from one day to the next. It works beautifully since in all things, charity. In all things, charity. Please bow your heads and just for a moment, do a little heart searching. Have you gotten a little too rigid? Were you too rigid rearing your family? I know, you probably meant well. I did. There were times I was too rigid. I had to make it right. Cynthia and I both had to make it right with our children, and we did. We couldn't stand the thought of there being a lingering offense. Have you thought about making it right? Well, if you've never come to Christ as Savior of your life, then you probably haven't because you want your way more than anything. But when you come to Christ, you want his way. And his way is unity, liberty, charity. It's called grace. So trust in Christ today. Turn to him. Let him take over your heart so he can take over your mouth, so he can guide your mind and release you from the need to set the world straight so that everybody gets in step with you. What a boring world that would be if everyone were in step with me or you. The beautiful thing about a church is the variety, the difference, the changes, the charity. We're going to sing together, but before we do, let me pray.
Thanks for talking straight to us today, Lord. Thanks for saying it in such a way that we didn't miss it. And for those who are just barely on the edge of accepting this, push them beyond the edge so that somehow, Lord, you'll have your way in their lives and they'll stop having their way. For those who have built a long list of people they don't like to be with, show them how to tear up the list. Give them the grace to look past the disagreements and to let love reign so that with all of our differences, there's room for grace for the moment. It's all that we need. In Jesus' name, I pray. Everybody sit. Grace for the moment, all that I need. Grace for the moment, and faith to receive all the promises given to those who believe. And grace for the moment, all that I need. Thank you for being here. Have a wonderful afternoon.